Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is your host, John Russin. My co-host, Pastor Frank Friedman, is not with us this evening, at least not right now. He may join us later. And you've joined us, if you're here for the first time, in our ongoing series called The Power of Story, in which we take the time to do deeper dives into the lives of believers, and we basically look at their wonder years, their formative years, how they came to Christ, and most importantly, how they came to know Christ as their life. Our guest today is Kendall Jacoby. Kendall is the Body Life Coordinator at Grace Life Fellowship in Baton Rouge. She's also a licensed counselor and therapist with Grace Christian Counseling there in Baton Rouge. So Kendall, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy that you joined us. Thanks, John. I'm so privileged to be here. Oh, it's exciting. And I'm up here in Northern Maine. Our, our high today, I think, was 69. What did the temperature tick in Baton Rouge today? Oh, gosh. Well, what did it feel like or what was it? Because Well, like you can tell me what it felt like. Yeah, <laughs> over it 100. Felt well, like over 100, but I think it hit about 92. Okay, well, that's fine. It was uh, warm here a few days ago, but it's nice now. Kendall, thanks for joining us one more time. And uh, please take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at the church, and uh, tell us about your practice and how you balance because you've got a husband, you've got a, a mess of kids, you've got a full time mm -hmm. and a part time job. How do you pull this off? Yeah. Um, well, thankfully I have a lot of high energy and love getting things done, but yes, I am on part-time staff at Grace Life Fellowship here in Baton Rouge as the body life coordinator. And that role includes, you know, myriad of things. I oversee life groups, which are like Bible studies and leisure groups that connect people. I also oversee elective hour, which is similar to like a Sunday school where we teach classes that run on a semester course and I oversee women's ministry and different conferences that we hold here at Grace Life and just really helping people in the body and the people that come here get connected in various different ways. And it is such a neat way to get to know people and to um, serve this body here at Grace Life. And so that is definitely my staff role. Now, I know you're interested also in my counseling practice. Oh, yes, indeed. And uh, for our listeners, I spent many years as elder there at Grace Life Fellowship. So I've been knowing Kendall for a while. Yes. And she's, she's got an amazing skill set, an amazing story. And uh, so blessed by what she does there for the church. But really, as a young woman who not only knows Christ, but who knows him as her very life. And she lives that out with her husband and her family and her children. And she's a, a counselor as well. So how does that work out? What's that look like, Kendall? Yes, like you said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So what that means is I have the privilege of sitting across from people, couples, um, families on a daily basis, doing face-to-face um, -face therapy with them. And that is a full-time private practice. I've been doing that since about 2009. And I have gotten, gosh, such a, it's a humbling privilege to walk with people in such a vulnerable and close way over the years. And so 
yes, between the two jobs and three boys and a husband, it's definitely a full life, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, you know, honestly, now that my practice is located at Grace Life Fellowship, it really helps blend the two jobs in the sense that I'm in one place. And so I can multitask and get things done throughout the day that I need to. But honestly, one of the things I tell people is that in both of my professional roles, it's really just me being me. It's me being myself with people, both on the church side and on the counseling side. It's me, you know, just walking out who I am in Christ and sharing that with people in a very sometimes, you know, open and overt way with clients that are interested in that. And then also in just by loving and meeting people where they're at. And so they definitely overlap in what skills it takes to do both. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing to hear you say that as an old guy who's walked the planet for a lot of years to see a a young woman such as you who is very comfortable in what her heavenly father has created her to be and has gifted her to be. And you're bold and you're confident and you trust him because certainly as a counselor, you step into who knows what kind of circumstance when a new client walks into your office, you never know what you're going to face, but you know that Jesus is always sufficient. Right. For sure. And you know, John, one of the things that I tell people a lot is that, We all have different experiences. We all have different stories as you definitely opened up with today. But if we really boil it down, we're all asking the same questions. And so we're all able to really connect over that. So some of the questions that I really, like I know and see that people are asking are, am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I valuable? Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I secure? And then from that, we see things like anxiety or depression or performance-based acceptance, all these things. And so I tell people all the time, I might not have been through exactly what you've been through, or I might not have worked with somebody that's been through exactly what you've been through. But at the, at the root of it all, we're asking these questions. And we know as believers that the only true answer and source of that is Jesus. Yes, ma'am, you are right. Now, I've got to begin by asking you, how did you get into this gig and go back early in your life? Were your parents counselors? Were your parents in the pastoral role? So tell me a little bit about your upbringing and your early years, how they shaped you for adulthood and what might have pointed you down this path, first toward Jesus and then down this particular path. So take as much time as you want. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Baton Rouge and I'm one of, in the middle of three kids. And, you know, there are some typical, like I think birth order roles that can take place. And the middle child is usually a mediator type child, but my parents got divorced when I was eight years old and our lifestyle changed drastically at that time. So I was in a private school, definitely like living a very comfortable life. And then things pretty much changed overnight. And I actually came home from summer camp and my dad had moved out of the house and it was kind of just like looking back, there was some writing on the wall, but was kind of an abrupt change to be honest. And so, and then with that came us being taken out of our school for financial reasons and um, placed at actually different schools. Like me and my siblings ended up going to different schools at various points. And so at the time we were, my mom had taken us to church as a kid 
And, you know, I was a part of that and heard about God and his love for really, to be honest, at that point, it was more of like hearing his love for like all people. Right. Instead of just you personally. Right. Yeah. Not really experiencing that personally. It's not that I didn't believe it or like didn't believe in God, but I really didn't have like a personal faith in it. And so, you know, the church community got kind of sticky when my parents got divorced. Um, I think that there was some rejection that my mom felt from the church. And I remember once I got pulled out of the school that I was at, that honestly, like, I didn't feel like I fit there anymore because the church that we were at, like a lot of the kids went to the same school. And so I just remember feeling like, gosh, I just don't belong here anymore. And in some ways kind of being told that by kids. And so we ended up leaving church and I remember church hopping for a long time, um, but never really landing anywhere again. So how I came to know Jesus was like true for myself and like owning that as a relationship for myself was when I was in high school, I ended up going to a high school in Baton Rouge that had Young Life at it, which I know a lot of people are familiar with Young Life, but those that aren't are basically a, it's a Christian organization that's in high schools that essentially tries to reach the unchurched kids. And so I went to a high school that had Young Life. It's a fabulous ministry. And I had my freshman year, I met one of the amazing Young Life leaders at my school And so she really just honestly, from day one, I don't know if she saw like a need that was there. I'm sure she did, but she really just like mentored me. You know, I was raised by a single mom. I had my first job at 12 years old because we didn't have any money. And so my mom worked a lot. You know, I I just didn't have a normal childhood experience when it came to that. And she really became like one of my closest friends and a mentor and really just poured into me over the course of my four years in high school. And I went through definitely a phase where I was, you know, desiring people's acceptance and doing things that weren't the best choices for my age. And she really just stuck by me through all of that. I never felt judged by her. I never felt unaccepted by her. And through like the series of unfortunate events, my senior year of high school and our, my friend group that I had developed kind of fallen apart. And I won't bore everybody with those dramatic details. I kind of came to the end of my rope, my um, senior year about, I think it was around November. And I just remember going to a sleepover at my young life leader's house and her just really, you know, again, continuing to meet me where I was. And then I think about in January, I ended up hearing a talk by actually one of the parents of the one of the girls that got killed in Columbine and it just really spoke to me he read some of her journals and it was like in that moment everything just clicked everything that my young life leader had been talking about everything and so um, that was in January of 2002 and I committed my life to Christ and began my relationship with him. And honestly, it was like, we all know a game changer. And my young life leader went to Grace Life Fellowship. I think it was, yeah, that was when it was called Quail Ridge Bible Church back in the day. And so I started going with her. And so I started going to church there and started going regularly when I was 18 and I haven't left. So, um, (laughs) so you have uh, solved the problem of church hopping that you experienced growing up. For sure, for sure. And really the neat thing was, is that not only did I 
become a Christian at that time, I immediately was a part of a community that knew Christ as life. And so as I started, you know, when you first become a Christian, especially, you know, you're very eager to learn and very eager to soak it all up. And I was so blessed to be a part of a a community of people and teaching, you know, I was under Frank Friedman's teaching for, you know, since I was 18, that really knew truth. And so I didn't have to undo as much as I feel like some people have to undo with like legalism or anything like that. And so, so yeah, I've been here ever since, which is crazy. I think this summer makes 19 years that I've been here. Well, Long enough to get employed, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it's a wonderful blessing to hear you say that not only as a former elder in the church, because uh, you see the fruit of the ministry that we worked so hard for so many years to build, but you get a chance as a brand new believer to not get sidelined into so many of the eddies that plague the modern church today, legalism and performance and wondering whether God likes you or loves you or accepts you and trying to suck it up and get tough and perform for God. You are avoided all of that. Yes, what an incredible sure. blessing uh, that that would happen to you. Yes. And there was definitely some, you know, obviously like we all do some lies and experiences that I had to work with, but what, I mean, there was no better place to do that, honestly. And I, I kind of always say that, you know, I kind of grew up here, if that makes sense. Like I, yeah. you know, my, my whole adult, adult life has been here and I met my husband here. Our kids are being raised here, which I know it sounds like picturesque. And honestly, in a lot of oh, ways, yeah, I can see the been, Norman but, Rockwell painting in the background. right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it does not get past me how much of a blessing that is for sure. But back to your question about how my life kind of played into my decision to become a counselor. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always struggled with in school was I was not the kid that was good at math and science. And I knew that that was not a route that I needed to go, but I honestly didn't know which route to go. And so um, in probably like my junior year of college, I had still been kind of wandering going like, gosh, like, what do I major in? Like, this is not like I, nothing feels like it's a good fit. And so I ended up going to meet with a career counselor and she asked me some really important questions of like, what was meaningful in my life? And we did like an aptitude test. And, you know, I think based on my experience as a kid and feeling very alone in my own house, because it was just not it was not by anybody's intentional doing, but you know, it was just a stressful environment where you've got a single mom raising three kids and finances are tough and everybody's got a job and trying to help pay bills. It was just a very, you know, I was an adult at a young age from that. And so I think that having somebody like really stop and invest in me in a way that was so powerful really uh, helped project me to that place of, okay, I want to do that for people. I see the value in that. And I'm an outgoing person and the, the skill set that I needed for the counseling was there. I, you know, I oftentimes say that, you know, you can't really teach somebody how to be a a therapist that we all have the, the counselor within us. And so we just have to hone those skills. And so I ended up deciding to intern for a counselor, Christian counselor in Baton Rouge, my last semester of college, just to kind of get a feel for it and see like what private practice life was about. And so I did that and immediately fell in love with it. And so then I applied to grad school and did the whole grad school gig and haven't looked back. It's been a really great, great experience for me. And it can be kind of scary stepping out there as a 20, I think I was 24 when I finished and 
opening up an office and kind of going, okay, is anybody going to come? Is this going to work? And, you know, amazingly enough, and I'm not surprised because God is just so good and gracious that, yeah, it's just worked for all these years and it's gone strong and I've never had to worry about that. And I think it's maybe partially just because I enjoy sitting across from people and meeting them in hard spots and just being a real person with them and, you know, sharing Jesus with them, even in ways that might not even look and smell like Jesus, just by being a safe spot. Right. I want to go back, if we can, man, to uh, a couple of things you mentioned earlier on. And I know you said that you didn't have the long history to extract yourself from when you became a believer, but you did take quite a few blows, at least in my opinion, they're blows. You know, divorce at eight years old, kind of blindsided you, you said. Rejection in the school you attended, rejection in the church. You had your first job at 12 years old. I mean, those are some pretty substantial blows for a child to take. Obviously, you had some beliefs built into you during those times. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the lies that you, that you nibbled on at that time and how Father unpacked those lies and showed you the truth? Would you, would you be bold and go there for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think remembering, I definitely remember as a kid feeling like very much an outsider with even other kids because my experience was so different. And I remember even my, some of the kids' parents that I was around, like commenting about those sorts of things. So that was kind of a a hard thing. I did have a very strong mother in the fact that she was very like strong in her convictions and the fact that she really pushed us to like I guess for a better lack of words, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps type mentality. Mm. And one thing that she did do that I think that was great in it all that in a hard circumstance was she definitely tried to instill that like, Hey, like you're valuable. Like you have to basically fight for what you want, but like you can do this. Like she was kind of motivational speakerish, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that definitely helped. And I think that some of the lies that I had to unpack, let me think about that. Well, one thing that I didn't mention was in the midst of all that too, I was also the chubby kid in my family and just in general. And so that was for a female, I'm sure it affects, I know it affects males too, but that was another source of rejection that was commented on a lot by relatives kids, all the people. And so I don't, I know this might sound strange and I think it's God's protection, but I think in a weird way, even as a young child, I knew that the people were wrong, like almost like a, gosh, how could you treat a kid this way? You know? And so I feel like in some ways, my heart was a little bit guarded and also with it came some lies, like because I don't look a certain way and I don't have this, you know, family that people think is acceptable, then I must do good. Like I must like, I'm not real good at school. I mean, I wasn't bad at school. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't like, you know, the academia type child. So I was very social. I was very friendly. I was just like, Hey, what can I do for you? Like put myself out there in ways to help people. And so I think that that's the route that I went to, 
be okay and to gain acceptance. And the really redemptive part of that is that now I do, I do that for a living, but it's not from a place of need. It's from a place of have, like, because I have acceptance, because I have value, because I have worth, I can help people. Whereas before it was, okay, I got to I want to help people. I want to, um, you know, do favors for people or be the kid that's like the teacher's favorite because I need some acceptance. Whereas now I get to do that from a place of acceptance. Wow. That's a great observation to make, Kendall. My mind goes immediately to the Apostle Paul. And if you look at Paul's personality before he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, he was aggressive, intelligent, hard-charging, diligent, a bulldog Mm -hmm. uh, for what he believed to be true. And then after he met Jesus, guess what? He was intelligent, diligent, untiring a bulldog he was the same except took that same personality that same gift package and he just tweaked it for the kingdom and it sounds like that's exactly what father did for you yes for sure no i totally agree and it's just really cool to see the redemption in that that's exciting to see not very many people get to see that but uh Looks like you're a walking example of uh, the Apostle Paul's experience, my friend. Thank you for sharing that. We talked about counseling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about family. Okay, here you are. You Mm -hmm. know Christ's life. You've been through university. You're now a a licensed counselor or whatever your title was with Grace Christian Counseling. And Mm -hmm. now you get married. So now you got a husband. And mm-hmm. now you have three boys. So tell us about your parenting, your marriage, your parenting. How does knowing Christ is life and bundled in with all your experiences, how does that equip you to be love incarnate to your husband and to your kids and to your family? Yeah. Okay. Gosh, there's lots of different thoughts I have there. So one of the things that kind of stemmed from being raised the way that I was, is that I was very independent and like self-sufficient and kind of even that way in my walk with the Lord the first few years. And so I think that when I, now I know that when I met my husband, Juan, one of the fears that I had at the beginning when we were dating, he was really the first guy that I dated seriously, that I knew that this was more than just, you know, a date. There was a huge fear that I was going to I had just kind of gotten to a place where I understood dependence on God and not on my own abilities and and my own efforts. And so I had this fear that I was just going to become unhealthily dependent on a person and also kind of combined with the fear that nothing ever lasts because there was a lot of disappointments growing up. And so I I almost, well, I did, I, I drove to his house one night And was basically going to break up with him because I was like, I'm just going to protect myself from this. And I I don't want, I don't want to screw up this walk with God that I have because I didn't really know what it looked like to have like a healthy interdependence on a human and let them be a resource that God used as a way to tangibly express love and acceptance and all of that. And so thankfully he was very secure in his own identity and (laughs) walked me through that And so really throughout the beginning years of my marriage, it was learning how to trust Jesus in a way that I could not fear the bad happening or if bad would happen and kind of learning more and more that, hey, this life here on earth is a gift and a privilege 
but this is not my home and desiring, honestly desiring heaven more than earth, but in a healthy way, like in a, we're not designed for this. And so like releasing control and really knowing how to depend on, on Christ in the midst of also doing life with somebody that closely. And that was all at the same time that I was in grad school and like learning to be a therapist and all of that. So it was definitely like, you know, an experience for myself as well to walk through that. And so I always joke that it's probably really hard to be married to a therapist or to have a therapist as a mom because uh, yeah, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, uh, have lots of thoughts about all kinds of things. And so I think it can be a blessing and a curse because sometimes mm-hmm. mom will say like, okay, don't be my therapist, like be my wife. But, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, no matter what job we're in as children of God who have identity in Christ, really it all boils back to who we are. And so the main, I say goal or focus in our marriage, the main focus with our children is to, to love in a way that speaks identity. And so, you know, constantly pointing our kids back to Jesus and in a way of going, Hey, like, I see you're upset. What lie are you believing about yourself? Okay. What does God say about that? And really speaking truth and identity to them. It's reaching their hearts more than their behavior, which honestly is sometimes really, it's, it's actually pretty easy. I think because of what I do to do that with my kids, sometimes it's actually pretty hard to do that with my spouse because he's an adult. And I'm like, I just want to go, Hey, I don't like your behavior, but really (laughs) we don't like to hear that either. Yeah, no, nobody likes to hear that. So, you know, it's really just focusing on identity, which I know sounds super simplistic, but it's telling our kids like, Hey, you know, that was a bad choice, but you're not a bad person. You're a child of God. And so actually this is really cute. The other day, my oldest, he's almost 10. He was going home from church with my husband and I was going, I can't remember where I was going, but that doesn't matter. And I was telling, oh, we were going on staff retreat for church. And so I was going to be gone for like three days and I was giving him a kiss and I was telling him bye. And I said, um, okay, you know, be good. And I usually don't say that we say like, be who you are, or you are good or, you know, make good choices because being good doesn't make them who they are. Christ makes them who they are. But anyway, he quickly goes, mom, I am good, but I am going to make good choices too. And it was just really cute and sweet and very special to like hear him at nine, almost 10 years old. Like he gets it, you know, he's been taught that, you know, it's cute and special Kendall, but uh, I'll tell you what it really is. It's fruit born for the kingdom, fruit born for the kingdom. Pastor Frank, I see you've managed to join us. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the conversation a little late, but uh, always welcome nonetheless. Oh, just enjoying listening to Kendall talk about how truth has revolutionized her approach to life. And then as scripture says, life begets life. And we're able to pass that on, not only to a spouse, but to children. And just what a joy, Kendall, to know that we get to prepare our children for this world in a way that we were not prepared for this world. You know, I don't know about you, Kendall, but one of the things that Janet and I did when our eyes were open to the gospel, the truth of the new covenant was we said, we're going to break the cycle. And what a joy to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I definitely know that we all know that doesn't mean our kids 
don't and won't struggle or go through hard things or any of that. But I think actually, Frank, I've heard you say this years ago, and I use it all the time, is that, you know, God, God didn't purpose for us to not struggle, but to learn how to trust him in the struggle. Wow. I said that I got to write that down. Could you yeah, wait a minute? Yeah. I, tell, <laughs> I say it to clients all the time, like, Hey, stop, stop beating yourself up for the fact that you're human. I say, don't judge your own humanity. Like even Jesus had, you know, anxiety and thoughts and fears and, you know, sadness and anger. Like let's not, let's not, I call it judge your humanity, but let's learn how to trust Jesus in that struggle. I would love to protect my kids from all the hard things, but that's just not the reality of this world. And so it's really equipping them with trusting Jesus in this world. And, and that all, like I keep saying, goes back to identity and knowing who they are in Christ. And that's exactly my approach with clients. That's my approach in my marriage, in my friendships, in parenting. And just a little side note with clients, like, you know, there's lots of ethics and guidelines for us as licensed therapists. And so I very much follow the pace of the client because I am kind of known in the industry in Baton Rouge as a Christian therapist. And because the therapy center is called Grace Christian Counseling, of course, I definitely attract people that want to incorporate faith. But I obviously do have some people that don't want to incorporate that. And I am 100% respectful of that. It's client-led. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that you can speak love and acceptance and truth to somebody without even having to utter the name Jesus. And so I find it neat to have that privilege too. Yeah, I'm reminded it's attributed to Francis of Assisi, Kendall, but that's never been verified, but, you know, it is attributed to him that he made this statement, preach Christ always and sometimes use words. Yes, yes. The issue that our life, you know, can really speak louder than our words. I I just think of that verse in Peter, you know, live in such a way that people ask you the reason for the hope that you have. And so that is a wonderful Mm -hmm. opportunity for you. Yeah. You know, Frank, that reminded me of something whenever I was probably like a year or two into marriage. And, you know, like I said, sometimes it must be hard living to a therapist that wants to have all the conversations and point out all the thought patterns and all the things. And so I'll never forget, I was actually at a women's retreat with Grace Life. And I think Juan and I had just had like a lengthy discussion before I left and the speaker was speaking. And because I'm, you know, I wouldn't say a fixer by trade, but more of like a a digger of things and like working through things with people. I think that sometimes he'd be like, Hey, like you don't need to be my therapist. And so I remember the speaker was talking and honestly, I wasn't listening because I was just talking to God about like, gosh, how do I turn that off in my head and like, not have to like, you know, dig everything apart with them and just give them some space. And I'll never forget that. I like, it's one of those times where you knew it was clearly God's voice, but he definitely spoke to me and said, you know, let my voice be louder in his heart than your own. And that statement has stuck with me all this time. I mean, that was probably in 2008. And so that's one of the things that I like often am reminded of, even with clients, with my kids, with my husband, with friends, is that sometimes people just need to be loved where they're at. They don't need to be told necessarily all the things. And so I remind myself all the time that like, not only is we know that God's a living God and the Holy spirit is powerful and real, but just letting God's voice be louder in people's hearts than our own. 
And sometimes that includes using our voice, but a lot of times it includes letting the Holy Spirit move and in ways that don't include our voice. Wow, that's huge, Kendall. You know, John and I just did a, I think a newsletter where we talked about that verse, my sheep hear my voice. Well, that's a statement of fact from Jesus. Well, then why don't people hear his voice? And we were addressing the issue that there's so many other voices that drown out his voice. Mm -hmm. And yeah. for you to say that is is really a confirmation of what you know we were just thinking about. Don't you think, John? Frankly, Kendall, I am stunned to hear such a perspective, such words of maturity out of a young woman's mouth. It makes me just excited, not only to know that uh, you're on course with your father, but that as a leadership role in the church that Frank and I really helped build, that you got your hand on the rudder with the, a bunch of people who are just as committed to the Savior as, as, as we were. So it's really exciting to hear. So thank you for that. That's a wonderful perspective. And listeners, if you didn't catch it, let me repeat it again. She was speaking to her husband about uh, how did she talk to him as a wife and not as a counselor. And the words of the Holy Spirit spoke into her heart and said, let my voice be louder in his heart than your own. Wow. What words. You know, Kendall, we usually end these things with a... Uh, with a question, what's the supreme revelation that you'd like our listeners to know? But I think you just gave a pretty supreme <laughs> revelation. Wow, but I'll give you one more chance. What else yeah. you got in your bag? Uh, oh, gosh, tell no. us about uh, what is the, the most supreme thing, the most important thing that uh, if you had a couple minutes to tell a group of listeners as a young woman, a young mom, uh, a working woman, what would you tell them? I would definitely, hmm, that's, that gosh, you know, I, I'm a woman of a lot of words. And so <laughs> to, to narrow it down is hard. But I think that I would tell any listener, no matter gender or roles in life or anything, is that is it like I kind of to circle back to what I've said earlier that, you know, everybody on the planet is asking the same questions. Am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I worthy? Am I valuable? Am I secure? Do I have what it takes? So even if it feels like we have nothing in common with somebody or people can't possibly understand where we're at, that one, not only does Jesus understand it, but two, that we really do all have that connector, which is the need for a father. And so I think that it's remembering that that need is met in Jesus. It doesn't need to get met by other people or by other things. And so it's really learning to live securely on the fact that we are loved and accepted and secure and valued because God has given us a new heart. We're a new creation. And that when we are walking in that truth, doesn't mean we're always feeling that truth or that circumstances always align with that truth, that that's really freeing. And then we get to walk alongside other believers and share in that community together, which is a beautiful thing. So that was a lot of words for an ending <laughs> statement, but. That's all right. You know, you, uh, you really touched my heart, Kendall, because uh, listen to your early story and um, growing up a child, a divorce, uh, broken home, uh, rejection from school, rejection from church, uh, having to work just to pay bills and all the struggles and fears that go along with that to hear you say that uh, you can relax and trust your father and his life in you 
is just just amazing. What a miracle in your life the Father has done. Frank, any last words before we sign off today? Well, I just want to reiterate what she just said, that let God's voice be louder in the heart and mind of her husband and her own. That really resonated with me, Kendall, because I had a very similar experience with the Holy Spirit and my bride. And one day his voice whispered so gently to me, but it was very, very powerful. He said, your role is to love her, not mm -hmm. to fix her. Right. And it was like, oh my goodness. And boy, it was life-changing. Yeah. So thank you, Kendall. No, 100%. Thanks. Loving people where they're at, for sure. Well, you know, I started out to wanting to fix my wife. I didn't do very well. But uh, fortunately, my loving father fixed me from wanting to fix my wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, dear friends, thanks again for joining us here on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Check us out on our website, OurResoluteHope.com. And hey, if you can, send us an email, contact us, sign up for our newsletter. Let us know you heard the podcast and what you think about it. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, follow us on our various social media channels. And remember... No matter what happens, when life turns upside down, when you're walking through the valley of shadow of death and you can't walk anymore and you feel like you have to crawl, remember, as always, to choose hope and to choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.